All right. Uh, welcome to Oma Lord, Chicago history you never learned in school. A uh, few things. Alderman Ray Lopez, the guy who wants to regulate little libraries that I told you about, announced that he is running for U.S. House of Representatives to unseat Chewy Garcia. This is a Chicago politician who announced checks notes in Berwyn, a suburb. In Berwyn. Mm-hmm. Berwyn. And he's the one that I listened to the, Jason, the Justin Kaufman episode you sent me. Yeah. And when he said we heard a lot from Ray Lopez. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And my eye on Ray Lopez. Uh, uh, also, in the last episode, I said Fast Eddie was in jail. He was released to a halfway house earlier this year. Uh, also, I forgot to mention one of the little quirks that I found when I was doing my Obama 2004 that at the time of one of his sentencings, Brian Urlacher wrote a letter to the judge on his behalf. So in this story of the ads, he's the Ashton Kushner of the story. Urlacher. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. And this is all because I referred to Mike Ditka as MAGA and I needed to fact check that because I don't want to accuse someone of being a MAGA when they're not. He is. And apparently Brian Rulacher is more MAGA. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just so. Are you ready to talk about corruption, a.k.a. the Chicago way? Let's get back into the city council. Preparing for this episode made my brain hurt. I remember I was reading a review of Wild Country where, and I'm paraphrasing here, they said after the third episode, they were riding on the floor for the rest of the documentary. And no one tries to poison anyone, nor do we have a sex cult. This episode shows some solid sleeves. So I implore, implore, I implore you, John, to seek clarity when needed. Uh, will do. Side note. Yes. I lived in the town in Oregon where they were poisoning the salad bars. I remember you told me that. I don't know that you told me that this year. I don't know how. I guess no one really knew about Wild Country aside from when it was happening and then when the documentary came out. It was a big story back in the day and then it just... It was quiet until that doc came out. Yeah. Yeah, because you had Sheila on Donahue saying tough titties. Just <laughs> the thing we've seen. The things we've seen. It's worth noting that from 1970 to 2010, 1,500 people in Illinois, politicians or people related, went to jail for corruption. Mm-hmm. On their website, the FBI has a page about their history in Chicago. And it starts with something like, from the inception, the government knew there were two cities where they'd have to have permanent offices, New York and Chicago. It's yes. It's like Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. There should be a Chicago fraud. Clearly. And clearly. For- we'll talk about that later. We could come up with our own idea. Yeah. So first we need to talk about Operation Greylord. This is a sting that went down in the 1980s, resulting in 92 indictments, including 17 judges, 48 lawyers, 
eight cops, 10 deputy sheriffs, eight court officials, and one state legislator. And most were convicted and the majority pled guilty. Then this led to Operation Incubator, more bribery, which concluded in, the, in 1986, and it had 14 indictments, including a deputy water commissioner, a Cook County clerk, and a, a former mayoral aide, and four aldermen. Ah, Chicago, the place where people who work to keep your water clean keep getting indicted by the feds. I guess it's important to vote for water commissioner. I it is. It, it is on the ballot. I know. Yeah. You'd be skipping. I'm like, this doesn't matter, but I, I, I will stop that. We're going to get real into why some of these down ballot votes matter. Perhaps in the next episode, more specifically, I didn't, I have a lot to cover in this one. I couldn't get into why the down ballot votes matter. But it'll become clear. All right. Awesome. Yeah. In the 1990s, the FBI supervised Operation Gambit, which focused on corruption in the Cook County Circuit Court, the state Senate, and the city council. Five people were indicted, four were convicted, while the fifth died awaiting trial. Then we have the operations that we're going to focus on today Operation Silver Shovel and Operation Haunted Halls. Silver Shovel involved illegal dumping of construction waste throughout the city, and one of which was a six-story pile of rubble in North Lawndale. Mm -hmm. It targeted primarily underserved neighborhoods, such as North Lawndale. And it sounds benign, but... It poses not only a huge quality of life issue for these neighborhoods, but environmentally, environmental health issues in neighborhoods that were already underserved. And eventually, six aldermen and a dozen other officials were convicted. So it's basically dumping waste, suspect waste, which could contain whatever, in places right. where it really should not be. Right. Yeah. Like empty lots, and you've got concrete. Uh, former mayor of Chicago was one of the federal prosecutors. Yeah, <laughs> on that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Around the same time as Silver Shovel, we had Operation Haunted Halls, which investigated ghost employees at City Hall. Okay. People, now, uh, people getting money and there weren't employees. Right. Yeah. No-show jobs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I wanted to say that both of these things were going on around the same time. I This was the background of the news as I would get ready in the morning and listen to the XRT. Mm -hmm. So it was just background noise. I didn't pay any attention to it. Yeah. And now we have a little bit of context. At the end of our last episode, Harold Washington, the first black mayor in Chicago, died. Not much happened for the rest of the decade, except remember the pocket square clutching about kids spending their lunch money on pinball machines? Yes, I remember that from last time. In 1987, Burke votes to, ex to legalize, to expand legalized voting. So taking it from off track, but 
betting to sports betting. Same people are going to gamble no matter what. I see no objection to extend, extending off-track betting to sports betting, which could work right into that system so long as it is adequately controlled. So now elderly women who work in group sales can spend their entire paychecks on the Bears bets. And God bless them. <laughs> you want to explain the end joke? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, way in the book four times when Alyssa and I worked in a, a very specific company that promoted Broadway shows in Chicago. For some reason, we thought it was fun to manufacture a rumor that a certain very Chicago suburban lovely lady who worked in group sales for years and years was hitting up off track betting during her lunch hour. And we had a coworker convinced that was true and then and that co-worker by the way listens to this podcast so she will hear us hello hello in toronto hello <laughs> all right I, I i was delighted to be able to work that one in in october 1988 he ed burke announces he's running for mayor saying there are many things i would change I would not be worthy of your support or trust if I did not have the capacity to learn from those mistakes and then go forward. And this is in direct quote about the council wars. Yeah. We talked a little bit about redemption for politicians and the clean slate. And I do believe in redemption, but this isn't that. This is just politically motivated word usage. Because the the previous position was also not real. So this one, in addition, yeah. real. Yeah. In December of that same year, a week after Daly announces his candidacy, Burke, who never actually filed the paperwork, quietly drops out of the race. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah, he never filed the paperwork. That's... Mm. So we're going to fast forward to 1995 and Operation Haunted Halls. And this is from the from a Chicago magazine. The title was actually, we featured Ed Burke, did an Ed Burke article about Ed Burke in 1997, and he was in trouble then too. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing the title, but that's. In one of the, so this is a quote, in one of the most intriguing political scandals to hit Chicago in years. Burke's name has surfaced in connection with a ghost payrolling investigation at City Hall. One of the attorneys in Burke's law firm, according to the federal investigators, received a steady paycheck and health benefits from Burke's city council committee and two other committees, even though he did not work for the city. Allegations have also surfaced that Burke's city secretary worked full-time out of the Alderman's private law offices. After those charges hit, reporters began sniffing out a number of questionable business arrangements involving Burke and his law firm. Burke, who refused several requests for an interview, has told reporters he's done nothing improper, and as this magazine went to press, he had been charged with no crime. So as trying to make sense of everything, because it's really convoluted. I 
read every headline with Burke's with an with a Burke in the article in the Chicago Sun Times from 1995 to 1998. A reason about why I chose to use the Sun Times, it's on the library, so I can get in the library, so I can get it on my computer from home. And it's just the archives are much more navigable than the tribunes. I so I read every headline and then would find an article that would be relevant to what I was looking for. I gotta say, he got mentioned in a lot of Sneed and Cup columns, which Sneed and Cup for the listener aren't weren't news. They're both kind of society columns, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Society, but also definitely delved into political and social yeah. going on in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Social. Yeah. Yeah. So I found an article from January 1995 in the Sun-Times. The title is, Burke Faults Dead Staffer in Payroll Scandal. Later, so this is a quote from the Sun-Times. Later Thursday... In a call from a payphone in Palm Springs, California, Burke said his former chief investigator, Horace Lindsay, quote, apparently connived, unquote, with Marie D'Amico, the daughter of former alderman Anthony Lorino, 39, to carry D'Amico on the committee payroll from 1991 to 1993, even though she did no work. D'Amico was sentenced to one year in prison last week after she pleaded guilty to also ghosting in the county clerk's office from 1981-1985 and in the sheriff's office from 1988 to 1990. Burke said, oh, I'm going to go into ghost jobs and the pervasiveness in a little bit. This is, whoa. Now, Burke said, obviously, I feel embarrassed. I have to assume responsibility from a technical point of view, but I had no knowledge that this was going on. And I'm picturing this from the payphone in Palm Springs. Yeah. With sips of pina, pina colada between his comments. Yeah. Ghost jobs were a given in Chicago politics. Harold Washington had one early in his career. I found this article from northern from a northern illinois university paper and this isn't specific to haunted halls but it i'll just read it dan rostenkowski in a plea bargain last april pleaded guilty to two felonies including a count of mail fraud for mailing payroll checks to ghost employees in his chicago office the original indictment in may 1994 listed 14 alleged Rosti ghosts who were paid by federal funds for services such as renovating his house, keeping his insurance company books, his insurance company's books, and cutting the grass at his vacation home in Wisconsin. Also among the 14 was Rostenkowski's former son-in-law, who allegedly did no official work but paid his father-in-law cash kickbacks. If Rostenkowski learned the personal rewards of patronage at his father's knee, Washington had done likewise. The late mayor's father, Roy Washington, also had a patronage appointment as an assistant corporation counsel. Although the elder Washington was not a ghost, a prosecutor 
He was also known to actually press cases. Roy Washington, Joe Rostenkowski, and their sons, understandably, might have drawn two conclusions about ghost payrolling in Cook County. First, nobody seemed to pay much mind. It had been going on forever. Second, it tended to run in families. Mm. So basically, it's you're getting paid through the county for doing personal services for the person. In the case of Rostenkowski, it was. In the case of Harold Washington's first job, he showed up like the first two weeks and then would just show up like once a week and then just started to have, and then started to just show up to pick up his paychecks and then just started to have his paychecks mailed to them, which is where the mail fraud comes in because they're now sending checks to people for work they didn't do. <laughs> do you understand why this made my brain hurt? Yes, absolutely. Oh my God. I remember Rostenkowski. Because that was also a big name. He also had a thing where he would exchange stamps for money at the, I guess they have their own post office or something in Congress. Mm. Yeah, he was pretty corrupt. This article goes on to say, but the all-time champ, that's in bold, for ghostly nepotism might be Anthony C. Lorino. Lorino, 85 years old is the last surviving link to Alderman Hinky Dink Kenna and Bathhouse John Coughlin, the first district, <laughs> whom he served as an assistant precinct captain. Kenna, a pint-sized saloon keeper, and Coughlin, a one-time masseur in a Turkish bath, provided over civic corruption so wide open that it has entered national folklore. They protected Prohibition-era saloons, gambling halls, brothels, and opium dens. In return, a grateful Al Capone supplied money and muscle for their first ward elections. It's not the plot of a Scorsese movie. It's the history of Chicago. It's the history of Chicago. And by the way, Bathhouse John and Hinky Dink have already made it into mentions in two other podcasts that I've done. Bathhouse John and Hinky Dink. So two two things. So they're considered to be the third and fourth most corrupt politicians in Illinois of all time, mm -hmm. which is, that's a list. And I, told, I mentioned, I think a, a while back that there was a city council meeting that went off the rails. And what brought my attention to it was somebody said, not even Hinky Dink and Bathhouse John would try this. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what's happening? <laughs> so this dude Lorino, who's a former alderman with ties to these two he was indicted for providing 35 ghosts to city hall including his wife his daughter a grandkid of a former congressman the father of a city clerk his second wife's son-in-law oh my god <laughs> The, the reason I'm reading this is because if I just paraphrased it, you'd be like, that didn't really happen. The article goes on to say, in a practice known to the machine as, quote, wife swapping, end quote, she went to work for a committee formerly chaired by the late Alderman Lemuel Austin Jr., 34th. Well, Alderman Lorino provided a job for Austin's wife. For Austin's wife. Okay. Yeah. 
So the, the article goes on to say, Bonnie Lorino and three other family members have pleaded guilty in the Haunted Hall probe. If you are keeping all of these names straight, you are a fan of Chicago politics. Certainly, the insiders who benefit from the system take care to keep them straight. An anthropologist decoding the elaborate kinship systems of an exotic tribe would have it easier than one trying to trace the web of political, personal, and employment connections inside the Chicago machine. Here, here. In comparison to what I've just read, Burke's involvement was benign. <laughs> right. <laughs> Against <laughs> this scale. Oh, my gosh. And his wife, Anne, never worked in City Hall. She was just a judge. She was a judge. Yeah. Yeah, she became the um, Chief Justice of the Illinois Supreme Court. We'll talk about that later. Do we need to work through this nepotism, Stu, or are you pretty clear on what's happening? I get, I certainly won't pick up all those names, but I get the web and the family tree of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those names predate me, but the connection to Hinky Dink and Bathhouse John. And the more you say it, the more I like it. <laughs> you should go back and listen to my, my, allegedly, because Bathhouse John is a liar. Allegedly, he had an alcoholic elephant because he had this wildlife zoo <laughs> in Colorado. Yeah. In March, on March 8th, Bill Zwecker runs a blurb that Governor Edgar might appoint Ann Burke as judge. So keep that in mind for our next episode. Okay. In April of 1995, the city council gives themselves a pay raise. The following April, the city is back in court for their illegal redistricting. They had gone to court during Harold Washington. They lost. They're now back in court. They're being sued by, I don't know who's suing them, but I think it's other black aldermen. So, Alyssa, right. sorry. So, what year are we now? It's mid 90s. We're, we're 96. Okay, got it. The estimated cost to the taxpayers for this case was over $8 million at the time of this writing this article, which they point out, because it's 1996, was more than the OJ defense. Holy Shinola. From the Sun-Times. Chicago's mo more costly team handling the four-and-a-half-year-old Ward remap case includes lead attorney Gerald Solovi and others from the Jenner and Block law firm, David Bonama from the law firm of Richard Devine, a, who is a close friend of Mayor Daley and a candidate for state's attorney, and Donald Hubert, incoming president of the Chicago Bar Association and a friend of County Board President John Stroger. He is the only African-American firm on the defense team. Okay. All these lawyers were hired and are being paid by the city council, and they're approved by the finance committee, which is chaired by Alderman Ed Burke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he keeps being the finance committee chair until Rom. 
Now, it's all Dick Devine. Does that name ring a bell? Yes, yes. He became the state's attorney. He was the Kim Vox back then. Got it. Yep, yep. Things are pretty slow until 1997. Oh, I did find this time where Burke suggested that the city council should sue the United States Coast Guard because they were moving a search and rescue helicopter to Muskegon, Michigan. I just re- I remember Divine for some reason I have the memory of Divine in that in the doc about R. Kelly. Cause oh! Because he, he I think it like the, the trial started at the end of his tenure or something like that but yeah. I don't know. I, I have not watched that, but I will yeah, someday. Definitely. So that he lived in Trump Tower. He did? Yeah, because when Gail King interviewed him in that contentious interview. Yes, look at that, yeah. They're like, here I am in Trump Tower in Chicago. Like, of course he lives in Trump Tower. And yes, I heard a really rumor. So... We're going to, this is a good diversion though, but we'll get there. I had the, the lower levels of Trump Tower are unfinished. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, because I walk by it to get to and from work, every once in a while, there's just weird stuff in the basement of Trump Tower. Where I've mentioned before in another episode, we joke that there's a QAnon headquarters down there. Yeah. But according to someone who worked at Trump Tower, when R. Kelly's condo got foreclosed on all of his furniture got stored in the, the basement of Trump Tower until they finally do it. Okay. Yeah. Yikes. Um, Yikes. And in 1997, former Alderman Joseph Martinez 31st pleaded guilty to a no-show job. He worked for Burke's law firm, but alleged that Burke got him a job at City Hall so he could have health insurance. Okay. Now, one might be wondering with all of this, how Burke remained unscathed. And, yeah. and in fact, somebody messaged me and said, I've always wondered how Burke wasn't involved in Operation Silver Shovel. And he brought up other ones, but, haunt, but Haunted Halls is what really... And I have some thoughts. One cannot overstate how influential he was at the the time. He controlled the purse. He was in charge of the finances. So I think much like indicting, say, the former president of the United States. Imagine if that happened. Yeah, but you don't do it. Or as Alexander Hamilton said. You're not going to throw away your shot. You want to make it stick. Yeah. Or you're going yeah. to pay a political price. And it's not, and we're talking, it's not just the politicians that felt in loyal or in thrall to Burke, right? It's like other civic leaders and business owners and community people. Everybody did. He got the votes for the mayor. He would whip the votes. And... I was going to make a joke about Burke the musical, but I'll go back to it later. <laughs> now I'm, I'm, now I'm imagining a Hamilton spoof with this Irish dude with a green square wrapping. 
at one point in time, Ed Burke was young, scrappy, and hungry. Yeah, so to your point, though, the prosecutor in Haunted Halls had ambitions of running for governor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's also worth noting that none of these investigations are happening at the local or the state level. The FBI has a thick file on Burke. I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I think additionally, he blurred the lines for decades, giving a plausible deniability. I watched a WTTW piece when he was finally indicted, and everybody just said, we thought he was too smart. And I watched a documentary called City So Real. It's filmed around the time that he got indicted, which I'll talk about more in a later episode. But they all talk about the code of silence at City Hall. Yeah. Also, I think there was an ambiguity on if things were legal or not. Because the FBI made a point to say when people were getting arrested for their no-show jobs, they didn't realize that it was wrong. Really? Yeah. Because it was such a common practice. I think that's another thing is I've been looking at this and thinking about it in in terms of the Trump fraud trial. Mm-hmm. And think very similarly, and it's probably no accident that Burke was his property tax lawyer. I think Trump doesn't think what he did is wrong. It's like that that not paying taxes makes me smart. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, yes, I get a pass because I'm up here in the clouds doing great things. Yeah. In June of 1997, one of one of his alderman buddies gets in trouble, and we'll talk about that later, but the editorials at the Sun-Times start gunning resignation for Burke's resignation because his relationship to ethics is as muddled as the North Branch of the Chicago River is with fecal matter. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that, CST. I enjoyed it. No, that's me. Oh, that's you. That's me. Because, yeah. <laughs> so, there's an app you can get on your phone that updates every 15 minutes that gives you the fecal matter statistics <laughs> of cool. all three branches of the Chicago River. A poop dial. A poopometer. In addition to the ghost jobs, he abused his finance chair position to expand his property tax law practice. In 1982, he represented, and he specifically did property tax appeals. In 1982, he represented 212. In 1995, it was 1,000 to underscore. The chairman of the finance committee has a law firm which appeals property taxes. As a taxpayer, I find Ed Burke's lack of fiscal accountability grosser than the thought of taking a swim in the Chicago River. (laughs) Yeah. 
Chicago River is taking it today. <laughs> they, they are taking it today. Hey, it's my office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. I was, so the city council has lax rules on when an alder recuses themselves from voting. So he played willy-nilly, and they found dozens of property owners who either benefited from his votes <laughs> or have interests in city council. And as I said, he whipped the votes. So even if he recused himself, the council voted the way he wanted. Yep. And one of the things that came out since he left office is, and I don't know how long this went, I'm, you're just going to assume that he just got bolder and bolder as time went on. But for sure, by the end, he was telling people how they had a vote or withholding their staff from them. Withholding their staff? Oh, uh, like the city council needs. Like people. Yeah. Stuff. Oh. Yeah. AIDS. Yeah. And also the city council, it came out, this, this came out in May had no onboarding so he would show them the ropes here's how you steal from the pepsi machine yeah. yes the new york sky during the canadian wildfires it is unclear if any of his clients were involved in operation silver shovel yeah and then he generated legislation against the city and then the finance committee could authorize settlements. Finance committee authorize settlements. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. For example, an alderman who's probably going to get indicted by the feds pretty soon. He was harassing one of his constituents, <laughs> and they just paid him out like a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars because it doesn't have to go to full city council. I don't think. He was also accused of changing the record when it came to his voting, like saying he abstained when he didn't abstain. I found an article in the Chicago Reader entitled Council Whores. I'm intrigued. Go on. Mayor Daly wanted to change the rules, the ethics. And every mayor wants to come in and change the ethics. It's a little bit like they would... And they would make themselves exempt from certain things, like when the inspector general came in. They resisted any ethic reform in the city council, which is also funny because that was still an issue. And what's Justin's last name? Kaufman. Justin Kaufman's piece in 2019. Yes. Yeah. So the reader has a lot to say. On February 17th, the Sun-Times began a series of articles investigating Burke, reporting that he had been hired by Jenner and Block as co-counsel in two lawsuits. Burke, as finance committee chairman, had hired the firm and paid it about $8 million to represent himself and other pro-administration aldermen in the city ward remap case, which was recently resolved in their favor. The Sun-Times also noted the firm had hired Burke's daughter, Jennifer, as an attorney and contributed $14,000 to his wife Anne's 1996 campaign for Illinois Appellate Court Justice. Prominent Jenner partners served as her campaign treasurer and chairman. Burke soon announced his withdrawal from the co-counsel cases. 
Do you want me to break this down for you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember, the city council hired Block and Jenner for the redistricting lawsuit. They contract him as, as co-counsel in two lawsuits. They also... I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis. So I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere. You know, the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Tyler, his daughter, and contribute $14,000 to his wife's judge campaign. And then partners from Block and Jenner serve as the chair, the campaign treasurer and chairman. Campaign treasurer and chairman. Yeah. So one part, I think it's two different partners, but yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to digest when it comes to pinstripe patronage. Beached mm-hmm. and contracted legal work from a huge hardware company and then voted to give them a $2.8 million grant. Wait, there is more from Council Whores. Next came the Sun-Times story that Burke has represented four airlines, a hotel, and a car rental agency at O'Hare and Midway in such appeals. While as finance committee chairman, he passes such things as bond issues for airport improvements. By late May, the Sun-Times was reporting that Burke has filed lawsuits against 
the Cook County Treasurer for clients seeking tax refunds from various municipalities, including Chicago. In Chicago's case, the Sun-Times wrote, Burke's lawsuits claim, in part, that the city's tax levy is illegal because some parts of the tax budget are too vague and that the city underestimates assets so it can assess more real estate taxes than it needs. Yet, Burke's Finance Committee passes the city tax levy ordinance before the full city council votes on it. And as council member, Burke votes for both tax levies and city budgets, as well as the city's settlement of such lawsuits. Okay, I'll explain it to you in human language. I had to think about this for a while. He sued the Cook County treasurer, seeking tax refunds for clients in various cities, one of which was Chicago, claiming that the levy was illegal because aspects of the budget were too vague. But he is the head of, checks notes, the finance committee. Right. <laughs> and then he votes on the city's settlements of said lawsuits. He may recuse himself. He may not. He may have changed the books. We don't know. Conflict of interest. This is all happening. The Sun-Times reports that Burke and Alderman Patrick Hules paid $600,000 from their committees to a lawyer helping a security firm, which was owned by Alderman Patrick Hewells, and of which Burke was a secretary or something. Uh, Alderman Patrick Hewells, he re resigned over this. Copeland. Well, it's also worth noting that all the silver shovel aldermen who were in trouble were black because he was tight with the mayor, but he was a white alderman who resigned. He could go on and on, but I think you get the picture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is an overwhelming amount of corruption. A tapestry, if you will. A tapestry. Great word. <laughs> One of the things I talk about on my tour is that in 1997, the City Council of Chicago voted to exonerate Mrs. O'Leary and the cow. Did you know that? Yes, I did read about that. Yeah. I was always curious as to how that happened. Burke introduced a resolution as this was all happening. As he, the, all the other shit was going down. Of course, yes. He introduces a resolution to exonerate Mrs. O'Leary and her cow. Oh, God. Stating, 126 years after the Great Chicago Fire, Burke said, Burke said, this is what he said. Reliable evidence suggests that the popular account of the fire, which is one of the O'Leary dairy cows kicking over a lantern to light the blaze, is false. The City Council Committee of Fire and Police adopted the resolution on October 6, 1997. It passes City Council unanimously. Flashback episode of Chicago Fire, please. It's also worth noting that he blamed it on another Irish person in the resolution. This, to me, is a little bit like drawing focus to the little libraries. 
why are they doing this? Mm -hmm. Apparently, though, it made a huge difference to the O'Leary ancestors. That's lovely, but... (laughs) He had possibly loose connections to Operation Silver Shovel. Two of his employees pleaded guilty in Operation Haunted Halls. He hired Jenner and Block to represent the city of Chicago, then took work for them as co-counsel while they offered his daughter a job. His own law firm argues against property taxes while he heads up the finance committee and gains clients while costing the city money and giving grants. Did I sum that up well enough? Yes, that was good. was actually very helpful, yeah. There's a lot. Mm -hmm. You understand why I went through every headline of the Chicago Sun-Times between 1995 and 1997, eight, seven, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to descend into all of those Chicago names, but you have to, but it gets, yes. Yeah, there was no, that I could find no concise, this is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I always ask myself, why is this relevant? Burke is facing trial. But more importantly, when people talk about corrupt government officials, Chicago is hold my beer. Also, when they say the DOJ doesn't investigate Democrats, they are talking out of their ass. <laughs> All the Northern District of Illinois has done is investigate Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go check something over on the Ed Burke Wikipedia page. Because I want to know how many people went to jail for... Uh, Haunted Hall resulted in 34 guilty pleas and one conviction after the trial and one acquittal. Mm-hmm. I didn't even talk about They're also investigating George Ryan. Oh, Oh, my God. That was at that time. Yeah. The, the, the FBI was pretty busy. <laughs> and it's even more important than that. I found a great quote in Reason magazine, of all places, about Burke. This corruption is not harmless. It prevents people from engaging in economic activity and building their own businesses in Chicago without first paying or agreeing to pay. These alleged, quote, stand-up guys, end quote, on the city council, Eric Boehm noted previously, previously noted Burke's extensive political reach and how much he wanted to control and ban any number of products and services. To what extent did financial considerations, rather than moral ones, play into Burke's policymaking? And who was harmed because of it? And that, at the end of the day, is... And we'll get more into it, because this is after his most recent indictment. But it's a good question even now, is who was harmed? What is the impact? He had a huge role in anyone becoming a judge. There are think pieces on how he impacted the court system in Illinois, which we will talk about extensively in the next episode. Yeah, it's looking back at the, what do you call it? The breadth of it. 
is speed. Do we all joke? Yeah, Chicago's corrupt. I can pay five dollars to get this taken care of, but the breadth of it is actually is very disturbing when you look at it. When you look at the breadth of it, I think I have one, two thoughts. The the first is also when you look at how much money it's cost the taxpayers. Yes, yes. Like I was thinking about that when you said that. Yeah, when you said that first prosecution how much it cost the taxpayers is that's incredible and just no one is like of course yeah there's corruption here yeah we're not paying attention to we're, it yeah no we're, we're not. i i would hate to know how much money chicago has just paid just alone for bad cops oh yeah just alone for bad cops this alderman who was the other one who just got in trouble, who they just settled for uh, $100,000 or mm-hmm. close. He doesn't have to pay it. Mm-hmm. The city of Chicago pays it. It just goes through the, oh, I was going to share this. This totally comes up. I was going to share this thing I found on WBEZ with you. Oh, yeah. The... Chicago City Hall politics are an exquisitely orchestrated rubber stamp world. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a New York Times article that's in the show notes that just basically was like, this is like the bullpen for the state penitentiary. Oh, my God. <laughs> or, and then paraphrase. It was a beautiful. It was so snarky. It was just like, <laughs> and it was about haunted halls. And, and I think I've been looking at it why weren't people more engaged in it? And I think, A, it's just such a, it was, A, th- there was such a tapestry. There was, it, it's stunning when you look yeah. at it. But to keep all the pieces in line, you needed someone who just keep, who would just keep outlining it. Like, almost like, now I feel like there would be someone who was just like a Twitter account that just tweeted out the corrupt or kept a spreadsheet of all the things. Mm-hmm. But to go back and figure out what was happening then confused me now. Like, also, like the, uh, the haunted halls, it's, it makes me also go back to no one else was in the hall where it happened to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what I, this, I actually wrote this. Empires rise, oceans falls. We have seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, Ed Burke will help you with your taxes to remind you of his love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. King uh, Burr. Mm-hmm. I that I I didn't go into my Hamilton parody lyric for the. I just envisioned him, and there's a line like at the end of the day, you'll, you can say I served you well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is something very kingy about him, like very much. Like if he was in yeah. Hamilton, if we were doing Chicago Hamilton. Yeah, that, oh, yeah, that would be his character. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, not daily. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, not daily. In some ways, daily was more of a reformer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's also, I want to say, I'm going to, uh, spoiler alert. I was watching this video. So there's this documentary that you can't watch because it'll spoil it, but I don't think I'll spoil it too much. It's called City So Real. And it's, in the tw- tw- uh, 2018, 2019, 2020. And it's got a couple factors. It goes all over town. It's got the Laquan McDonald trial. 
It's got Rom, if he's going to run for mayor, if he's not going to run for mayor. Then you've got 14 people running for mayor. And in the midst of this, there's a scene where Hefner, what's that Hugh Hefner's daughter's name? Is it Christine? Christy. Christy Hefner is having a salon. And yeah, I'll talk about it more in our final episode. So do you have any last thoughts? This is this is exciting and disturbing. Next week's episode, and I'm not going to tell you what a, what it's about. Was it's going to be the most disturbing part of Ed Burke's life? Okay. Yeah, it made me. It made me. I don't have my thoughts organized on how I felt about it, but we'll get there when I write the episode. Yeah, it's just. It's the flippancy with which we have learned. I don't know. It's culturally Chicago too to be to be. I think to be a a neighborhood and caring person, but also to be flip about corruption in a weird mm-hmm. the thing that we we don't condone violence, we don't condone unkindness or anything. I think, but that corruption is just something that we're like, yeah, it happens. When I was home and I was explaining this alderman who's he said the Portage Park alderman, the, the he says he's a Democrat, but he's in a lot of trouble. And I'm like reading up the things he de- said. And my dad's just like, he's like, Chicago is so stunningly corrupt. He's, but it's the only big city that's well run. In some ways for some people and not for others. Right. In some, in some ways for some people and not for others. But at what cost? It could be so much better. Like, if we weren't paying $8 million in court cases. Yeah, if that could go for, at the very least, another couple of fucking snowplows. We're getting our sidewalk snowplowed this year. That got approved. Yeah, or it was funny. So there's a, a development called Lincoln Yards, which is up by where Finkel and Sons used to be. And they don't have any money. And the school teachers union, that was one of the things they were striking or that they were protesting about or striking about. It was involved in the strike. I don't think it was the reason they struck, but they want that like that money, that tax incremental financing, which would be in the under the realm of the finance chair to go to education. Lincoln Yards doesn't have any money, so they asked to borrow money this year from the Chicago Teachers Union. Mm-hmm. Things you can't make up. Yeah. But yeah, who was impacted? Like, where did the TIF money go to? And that's the impact of it. And I think it's like, it worked for people. I think that the other thing was a lot of TIF money and people who got, they didn't want to rock the boat there. I'm on a journey with this too yes it's making it it is literally making me think about how i think about the place i live in and what is happening around me yeah and the 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 good news is it is changing now say thanks for listening hit the subscribe button quicker than an alderman takes a bribe tell your friends before the act performs an operation on chicago politicians we can call it Operation Oma Lord. Tune in next week when we take a break from politics and look at Burke's personal life.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.